This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. This is the In Memoriam edition. Uh, This morning we have just found out about the death of former Premier Jim Prentice in a plane crash in uh, in BC. Usually, of course, the press gallery is a little flippant, a little glib, we might say, about Alberta politics. Instead, we're going to talk about uh, the, the time that Jim Prentice spent here on the politics scene in Alberta. Some of us had the chance to cover him, some of us didn't. I arrived well after the time of Jim Prentice. Graham, you spent a long time, well, I guess the whole time that uh, Prentice was here, mm-hmm. you know, covering him. So what insights can you give to his time here in Alberta? You know, the thing is, he came on the scene, like, we'd heard he'd be coming to run for the leadership. This is after, of course, um, Alison Redford had stepped down. And then we had an interim premier, well, a premier who was only here for an interim period, and that was um, Dave Hancock. And then there was a leadership race, and um, Jim Prentice was out early, and we had heard that he was interested, and uh, he was a shoe-in for that race. Like, there was three people in the race, and it was clear he was going to win it. And he, on paper, he was... The, the golden boy on paper, like he was going to do it for the Tories. And he came in, he was really, really popular because this is a person who was well-respected in Ottawa, former federal MP, minister federally, and everyone seemed to like him and respect him. And he came in here and the entire, basically the entire PC caucus was behind him. And so... Yeah, I guess with, you know, with the notable exception of... of Thomas Lucas. Well, yeah, those who yeah, were not yeah, not actually yes, running yeah, run against him, but yes. yes, but yes, yes, those who were not actually running against him, uh, the other two people, um, the, the entire caucus was behind Jim Prentice. So you know, he was a very nice guy. I sat down several times and talked to him, and he had a plan. He was very strategic. This is somebody who was planning things well in advance. He's a chess player, thinking two or three moves or more. And in a sense, that kind of also well, tripped him up. Basically, this is somebody who wanted to win the next election, obviously, but he wanted to unite the right. He got the floor crossing, which actually backfired from the Wild Rose. He went one year early in the election campaign, as opposed to waiting until 2015. So those worked against him, but ultimately he was a really decent person. And I think the PCs thought this was the guy that could do it for them, but it turned out, of course, it didn't work out that way in the 2015 election. You know, uh, Emma, he came to this milieu of provincial politics from having been a very respected federal cabinet minister. Uh, His handling of the Indian Affairs uh, file in particular, I remember when he came and met with the Journal's editorial board when he was the minister of Indian Affairs, he was one of the few cabinet ministers who was actually willing to speak out uh, and trust himself to do so, uh, standing up to Stephen Harper, who was his prime minister at that time. Uh, and I thought he handled that file really well as environment minister. He actually, I mean, imagine the unenviable task of being Stephen Harper's environment minister. Another brief that he handled, I think, with a great deal of aplomb. And so when he came here, I had quite high expectations, not as a conservative myself, but as somebody who admired him uh, when he was in Harper's caucus. He supported uh 
same-sex marriage and gay rights and broke with his caucus to do so, to vote with the liberals of the day to help get same-sex marriage, the law of Canada. That was something for which he had a lot of blowback in his constituency and I'm sure in caucus. Didn't you, and, didn't you call his office about that? Uh, yeah, the, the, that's my anecdote. I called his office anonymously to, to say as an Albertan how proud I was that he'd done that. And his office staff said, ma'am, do, do you live in the riding? Because they, they, were, they were taking a lot of grief. So when he came here, I was prepared, you know, as somebody whose job it is to criticize the government, I was prepared to, to give him the benefit of the doubt. And, and some of his initial appointments, when he brought in Mike Percy, a very respected former liberal MLA and economist to be his chief of staff, I thought, well, that's a brilliant appointment. That bodes well. And then the promise that he had had offered that he would bring renewal to a conservative party that had been battered by uh, what had happened with Alison Redford, that he would somehow make up for those 44 years of baggage. He was never able to fulfill that promise. And I think for me, and it started when he parachuted Gordon Dirks, who was a very conservative um, evangelical Christian who'd run his own private schools into the position unelected as minister of education. And I thought, Wait, wait a minute. You were supposed to be a progressive, you know, law he'd come again conservative. And I think he really suffered. I mean, Graham's talked about his strategic chess playing, but I think there was also, in his effort to try and not be perceived as overly progressive, I think he overcourse corrected. And we saw suddenly somebody who'd been a champion of gay rights not being a champion of gay rights when it came to gay-straight alliances. We saw somebody who had a reputation as a progressive. Somehow, it was as though he felt in Alberta he had to tack to the right uh, in order, perhaps, to merge with the Wild Rose. And and I think that was uh, a terrible strategic error. I don't know that anything could have stopped the meltdown of the Conservative Party because people were angry about 44 years of stuff, most of which was nothing to do with Jim Prentice. But I think... As Jim reminded us many yes, times, as well as, as another problem that he kept doing was look in the mirror, Alberta, to see who actually caused the problems. You know, and I think part of the problem was that he was honest to a fault, in, in, a, in a way, uh, somewhat like his political rival, Paul Martin. I mean, he came back to Alberta and basically said to us, you guys have been paying too low taxes and spending too much money, and look in the mirror, you, you know, you've, you've dug yourself into this pit, and also, the price of oil, it's going to go down, 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 down. And people didn't really want to hear either that message about the past or that message about the future. I mean, I, I, I was listening back um, today to the speech he gave on the night of his concession to Rachel Notley. And he talked about how very bleak times were going to be ahead for Albertans. And that night, when people were quite giddy at the thought that they'd elected a new government uh, and that, that Notley had run on such optimism, people weren't ready to listen what he was trying. Yeah, they weren't ready to hear what he was trying to say. And I think, you know, the events of the last uh, 12 months have certainly borne out his prognostications. He, he, he was the Cassandra. He was right, and nobody wanted to believe him. Yeah, I found most of the things that he caught flack for, the things he said anyways, I just thought that's, that's just true. He's just telling us the truth right now. And it, wasn't, it was more of an atmospheric thing than anything else. Um, but I think you're both right. I think Jim Prentice was a really good chess player who came to Alberta right at the point where everybody was just sick and tired of chess players. Yeah, I and just wanted to throw over the board. Yeah, and the key, 
the contrast of that to Rachel Notley in the debates was, I mean, you just can't account for that. It, it just was something. We were talking earlier about whether the demise of the PCs was a force of nature, whether this was something that was about to happen. And I think it probably was, but just the way that election went and the fact that poor Jim Prentice became the personification of everything that people didn't like about the PCs. He took it all on his shoulders. And I think the enduring thing for me, I remember on election night, I was working on the web desk, so I wasn't reporting or anything. And I got to stand and watch his concession speech. And it really made me genuinely sad to listen to it because there was nobody there. First of all, it was an empty room. It, It seemed like the entire party was just fleeing the ship. Yeah, they'd abandoned him. Yeah, and the the speech itself, it just seemed to be so personal. It it seemed like he took it as if Albertans were saying, we don't like you personally. And I, I think that's a really, it's something we don't reckon with in politics enough that these people really are putting themselves on the line. Like when you look at what happened to Danielle Smith, who I think was a good person who really wanted, you know, to do her best for the province and just I think got humiliated in ways that she didn't deserve, even though she may have made a mistake. And that also happened to Jim Prentice. This happened to a lot of politicians. And I think as journalists, sometimes we forget to give them the credit for doing that because most of them, not all, I think most of them have the best interests of the province or the country or whatever in mind. And I think we can forget that sometimes. When he did leave Alberta politics, there hasn't seemed to be a, a lot heard of him, was no, there? No, he left that night. The election, yeah. he lost the election and said, I'm out of here, and he, he quit. Um, before he was actually confirmed that he'd actually won his own seat, he quit. You know, I've written about this a little bit as well, uh, about this timing. You know, you wonder if he had thought, gee, if I'd either waited a year for the election in 2015 when people could actually see how bad things were getting, and then the argument would have been, you know, do you want to change horses when we're going through some bad times? Um, that may have worked for him if he waited a year. But also, I was thinking... Or, or it may not. I well, mean, no, yeah, I know, it could have been, been even worse. Well, it couldn't be much worse than what they actually yeah. got. Well, I suppose that's true. <laughs> um, but my, my point being that, or if he hadn't even gone into provincial politics, if he had waited, he could have maybe run federally this time, because that was his goal, was to run federally. But also, I've actually mentioned this in some presentations publicly about... Prentice would actually be the ideal candidate to take on Kenny. So right now, if you had a race right now where Kenny wants to destroy the PC party and join it with the with the, uh, the Wild Rose, I could see Prentice, even though he did try his own way of uniting the right, actually coming out and maybe taking on Jason Kenny for a leadership bid for the PCs right now, because he is well, he's a well-known federal uh, MP. But I think that I wonder sometimes about the timing um, that Prentice showed. It was bad luck in some ways. And I agree with my colleagues that there was that movement, that feeling in Alberta that it was time for a change. And but the thing is, Prentice made it worse by doing that behind the scenes floor crossing, uh, that, that maneuver to get the wild roads across the floor and then go one year early. That irritated people as well. You know, I think one of the challenges that Prentice faced is that he was not in some ways, he didn't have the personality of a natural politician. I mean, he was not a populist. He was not a gladhander. He was he had the the demeanor of a corporate executive. So when he came in and met with the journal's editorial board, he was articulate. He was polished. Uh, he was intellectually engaging. When he was out on the stump, those qualities, which are frankly the qualities you probably want in a leader, uh, were not qualities that tr- always transmitted to a popular audience. He didn't have that gift of 
making a personal connection that I think both Rachel Notley and Brian Jean in their own very different ways had. And I think in some ways, you know, when you watch the the video of the debate with Rachel Notley, where, you know, that was Notley's breakout moment, it's not that Prentice really even had a bad night. It's just that his button-down persona, which I think, you know, that was authentic to him. I mean, I, I don't know what the solution to that is, because if you're not that person, to be all, you know, baby-kissy and, and fake populist doesn't work for you either. But I think the fact that he had this great appeal to people in corporate boardrooms. I mean, people in Calgary office towers thought that he was, you know, a messianic figure who was going to come back and put Alberta uh, back in train. And I, I think the problem was when you took him out on the hustings, however personable he may have been one-on-one, -on -one, he didn't have he didn't have that persona that Albertans seemed to demand in their leaders, perhaps unfairly of being a charismatic man of the people. Which is funny you mention that because the, the one and only time that I had an interaction with Jim Prentice was actually in Saskatchewan at a Western Premiers thing. It was um, Brad Wall, Christy Clark and Jim Prentice and they were at a joint press conference and they were joking around like buddies, like having some kind of bromance and they were talking about the dill pickle vodka that Brad Wall had gifted Jim Prentice and Christy Clark and having a big old laugh about it. That's the only time I ever saw Jim Prentice. So to me, it seemed like he did have that sense of humor. But then again, maybe that's just because he was playing off Brad Wall, who is who is well, known. But, but I think people people who knew him personally talked about, oh, how he, you know, what a personable guy he was. He loved to play hockey. Right. I mean, all of these things. But you know, I remember when he came back and talked about having you know worked in the mines, and it didn't it didn't resonate with people. And I think, you know, in some ways, maybe he didn't have the personality to be the leader, whether federally or provincially, but. I mean, he had such such gifts, and I think there's a terrible, I mean, poignancy to today's tragedy, which is tragic on its face. But, you know, he never got a second act, or I guess you'd call it a third act. He never got a chance to reframe and rewrite his legacy. And I think that, you know, he was only 60. He may have had great gifts to give to this country uh, in other in other ways, whether as a diplomat or a business leader or a you know the, the, the head of a think tank, at, you know we'll never get to see the Jim Prentice um, autobiography. Uh, he'll never be there when they hang his portrait in the legislature, and I think, of course, his death, you know, and what it means to his family is a tragedy of of the first water. But I think there's this double poignancy in the fact that he never got the chance for that kind of political narrative of redemption. One thing I think too, you sort of briefly touched on this, Paula, but he he did seem to take Aboriginal issues seriously. And yeah, very if, much you so. if you listen to him, anytime he ever mentioned pipelines, he would mention Aboriginal issues. And that was something that we were talking about Northern Gateway at the time. And people seem to have this fantasy that you could build this pipeline without talking to Aboriginal people. And it later got rejected in court because the consultation wasn't good enough. And I I think that Jim Prentice knew that's what was going on. And I think that he genuinely wanted to consult. And when you talk about sort of post-political careers, that is an area that I think maybe, because I think he was genuinely passionate about it, yeah. that's somewhere where we could have used a guy like that. And I, I just want to, this is one story that Miriam, our our old ledge reporter, Mary told me. Miriam Ibrahim, yeah. Yeah, she told me about Jim Prentice, and it just made me laugh. And it made me think that this is probably 
he is the guy that we think he is. I think he was a good guy who he had that kind of awkward dad thing about him. And she said when they were on the trail in the election, you would see Jim Prentice. He never quite grasped, grasped what a selfie was. So he thought that a selfie was just somebody taking a picture of you. So whenever he was out on the trail, he would say, come on, we'll get someone to take a selfie of us. Get, who wants to take the selfie and I'll be in it. And <laughs> Miriam, if you know Miriam, she just was like, so she just wanted to correct him so badly because the terminology was so important to her. So when I think of Jim Prentice, I always think of him getting selfie wrong and then Miriam <laughs> just boiling with frustration in the sidelines. Well, you mentioned um, First Nations. Of course, I think he was actually hired by uh, Enbridge to actually be the person looking at First Nations when it came to the pipeline. So he actually had a professional uh, interest in that besides a, a personal one. So he actually knew this, this file yes. really, really well. Uh, also, a poignant, I guess, aspect to this that I imagine right now is going through the head of Rachel Notley. And she knows the family, what the pain they're going through, because, of course, her father died suddenly in a plane crash. You know, you take in, the, in a small plane a crash, small plane, just a, like this. In yeah. 1984 in uh, northern Alberta. So you got people, you know, loved ones go off in a, in a plane in the, you know, thinking of this, yet another plane trip. And then uh, something goes horribly wrong. And uh, so Rachel Notley, that'll be going through her head. And she'll know um, firsthand the, the pain going right through the family right now of Jim Brandis. We don't have a word yet from Rachel Notley. They're kind of waiting on, uh, I guess, more confirmation and then more. Yeah, I mean, part of, I mean, part of the thing that makes this so difficult is that the news of this started to break on Twitter first thing this morning without any confirmation from the RCMP or for the BC coroner's office. Um, you know, as, as we came in to record this, uh, our colleague Claire Theobald, who's, who's on our cop desk, was still trying to get somebody from the BC coroner's office to confirm and, and they were saying well they weren't releasing names because they were not finished the autopsies it's always very difficult for us for those of us in the media we're hearing these rumors we have our sources and other people you know in Ottawa started reporting this without actually knowing firsthand that it was true and and then you're sort of your hand is sort of forced and what i was hearing was that our CMP were not going public because they had yet to reach all of uh, the loved ones of the people who were on the plane and you're put in that very difficult ethical situation. Do you report breaking news, which is of great importance to your readers, or do you wait until you know for certain that it's true and that you know for certain that family members are not going to find out because of something that you carelessly tweet? So it's difficult. Even as we're sitting here recording this, um, we are still awaiting that kind of official confirmation. Uh, it's It's been a very difficult day, I think, for, for people in politics and people in media to understand how in this new world of 24-hour instant communication you report responsibly on a tragedy like this. So before we leave, any final thoughts on, on Jim Prentice, his legacy of Alberta and, and what he's left us with? I think Paul made a really good point about the fact there is no other act coming after this for Prentice because that would have hurt him, obviously, losing the election. People And his name is now tied to that. didn't matter what he did before in politics, the good things he did, it's comes down to he's the man that led the PC party into defeat against the NDP. And I, and you think there was something else coming from this man. He was 60 years old. He was relatively young. He was smart. He was ambitious. And the question was, he was actually writing a book, I know that, on energy and environment. This is somebody who understood the importance of the two going together. It was a really interesting book. It was, you could see himself, maybe positioning himself to be maybe a statesman of some kind, uh, moving forward, somebody who has a lot of respect still, especially at the federal level, 
could actually then bring his brand, I hate that term, but bring his name, bring his band, brand back into some form of public service. And that's been erased now. And that, I think, is a real tragedy for somebody who's done so much for the country and tried to do so much in his own terms for the province that he has no chance to, as Paul, redeem himself. You know, and I think, as I was listening today to that concession speech that he gave, my Twitter feed this morning has been this very disconcerting mixture of news about Prentice juxtaposed with the latest Trump, you know, horror show from the United States, including all of Trump saying that the election is rigged and, you know, that maybe there should be a rebellion. And, and as I listened back this morning to the dignity and really the courage with which Prentice came out there on that difficult night and conceded to Notley with grace and with dignity and with considerable generosity of spirit. And I thought how grateful we should be to have politicians who leave us that legacy of that commitment to democracy and that commitment to accepting the will of the people, however difficult that may may be to hear. You know, we used to joke sometimes in Alberta after 44 years that, you know, one party state, a banana republic, you know, we're not really a democracy. It's worth reminding ourselves that we are really a democracy. And that is how the democratic transition of power should be handled with that kind of poise and that kind of of open-heartedness to listening to the will of the people. And I think if no other legacy, Jim Prentice should remind us that 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 is how we conduct ourselves in a democracy. And I think we should be really blessed that we had leaders uh, like Jim Prentice uh, who know how to make an exit uh, without having a tantrum. And I think, as Graham says, it's it's doubly tragic that we'll never get to find out what he would have done for 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 Canada and, and for his community next. Absolutely. So, with our condolences um, out to the friends and family of Jim Prentice, who has died in a plane crash today, along with three other folks, um, we do extend our deepest sympathies. This is the press gallery. You can find us here again uh, this time next week on the Edmonton Journal dot com, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, and our SoundCloud channel. Thank you, and take care of each other. <laughs>